I'm Sheila. And I'm Sarah. And welcome to season two of Pushing Pediatrics, an educational podcast for physical therapists created to help those studying for the Pediatric Certified Specialist exam and anyone else interested in learning more about pediatric physical therapy. Last year, our episodes were played over 10,000 times to help listeners like you crush the PCS exam, and they did. This year, you can expect more content and even more review to help you feel confident on test day. Let's not waste any more time. Time to study. Hey listeners, we have an ask of you. Between reading and rereading resources, reaching out to content experts, and reviewing our material, this podcast takes time, effort, and resources to share it with you every week. We are humbled and grateful for the listener and affiliate interest over the past several months and the scores of messages received letting us know that this podcast has incrementally improved their test prep has been inspiring. Special thanks to the community for engaging and interacting with the show. We want to keep the podcast focused on content that informs, prepares, and is mindful of your time. One way to accomplish this is direct listener support. We've set up a link where you can quickly and easily support the show. If pushing pediatrics is a part of your day or week and you love what we're doing, please visit the link in any of our episode guides and support us any way you can today. Listener note. This podcast was created as an adjunct for those studying for the PCS exam. By no means do we guarantee that one will pass the exam solely by listening to this podcast. We encourage all those studying for the exam to put the appropriate time and effort into their studying using resources recommended by the ABPTS and the APTA. It is not allowed to discuss test content and we will not accept any questions related to test content. While we will do our best to provide the most accurate information, if you feel as though we have stated something that is incorrect, please contact us via Instagram or Facebook at Pushing Pediatrics, or send us an email at pushingpediatrics at gmail.com. Welcome back. We hope that you are enjoying these interview episodes. If you have feedback for us, things you like, things you don't, please shoot us a DM on Instagram or Facebook. This week, we are pleased to have on with us Sarah Tenenholtz, a pediatric physical therapist who works in the NICU. Welcome to Pushing Pediatrics, Sarah. Happy to be here. We're so excited to have you on today, Sarah. Thank you for taking the time to share your experiences with us. Why don't you start by telling us a little about yourself? I am a pediatric physical therapist who has been practicing since 2016. I've always been interested in practicing in pediatrics, so when I completed grad school, I sought out a position where I could have experience in pediatrics. I initially worked in the outpatient setting in a split pediatric and orthopedic position and also did per diem inpatient rehab, which was pediatrics only, and per diem outpatient, which was pediatrics only. In 2019, I began a neonatology fellowship through Rocket Mountain University of Health Professions and Cincinnati Children's Hospital, which I completed in December of 2020. Wow, it sounds like you have so much experience in a lot of different settings, which is awesome. When did you study for and receive your PCS? I studied and passed my PCS in 2021. Same as Sheila and I. 
We all took the PCS prep course together, which Sheila and Sarah are both on the committee for. Sarah, tell us your background in the NICU setting. Prior to my NICU fellowship, I had opportunities to shadow in the NICU at my hospital. In 2019, I began the Neonatology Fellowship, which I completed in December of 2020. My clinical portion was from January 2020 through May of 2020. I then returned to the NICU in Boston, in which I currently practice in, and have been there since. While studying, the NICU was always an area that seemed really challenging to make sure we knew all of the ins and outs. I think it's a very niche area of physical therapy, but it's definitely on the test. So there are so many things to remember and you're working with such little babies. So for you, what does a typical history and systems review look like in that NICU setting? So a typical history and systems review will include what age they were born at, and then also the current gestational age. So you look at the age they're born at, and then what age you're actually seeing them at. You will look at their cardiac system, pulmonary system, including their respiratory progression, where they intubated, then moved to CPAP, what, is, what respiratory support are they on now, their neurologic system, musculoskeletal system, integument, endocrine, gastrointestinal, hematology, infectious disease, and any imaging, whether that be a head ultrasound, abdominal ultrasound, an MRI, or any other imaging that may have been done. What are some red flags that you may see in the NICU setting? So some of the things that we would speak to the nurse and or neonatologist or nurse practitioner or physician's assistant about would be if we were treating a baby and they were having consistent physiological instability, if a baby presents with a change in muscle tone from our previous session, a change in alertness from previous sessions, new skin integrity issues, or any decrease in spontaneous or active movements that we're concerned about. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, but when you're saying something like physiological instability, what does that look like? What are you cueing into where you feel like that's not normal? Yep. So what we're looking at is, are the baby having bradycardic episodes, decrease in heart rate more consistently, oxygen desaturation episodes more consistently? Are they having an increase in respiratory rate that's changed since the prior session? So are they breathing like over 80, 90, 100 beats per minute? So that's kind of what we're looking at. Awesome. Definitely some good things to remember, especially if you're asked about those types of things, like a change in status for a patient in the NICU. Also really good here to know normal values. You can't really understand atypical until you know what the normal values are. So I think this is a time where we remind the listeners to make sure that you are understanding for a neonate, what is a normal heart rate? What is a normal O2 sat? What is a normal respiratory rate? So that way you can identify an abnormal rate if that comes up on the exam. What does a typical examination or evaluation look like in the NICU setting? A typical examination or evaluation consists of motor system or quality. So looking at spontaneous active movements and their active range of motion and how they move. Sometimes we'll look into passive range of motion as indicated. Some babies may have limitations in range of motion. So that would be indicated then. Cervical range of motion is a big thing we're constantly looking at in the NICU. Babies can develop a preference to one side or the other. So we're constantly making sure they have that range of motion. We look at their head shape. Again, if they have a preference to one side or the other, they may develop flattening of their head. They may have a head shape that's long and thin. Some of our babies with lower tone may have flatness in the back of their head. So we're constantly evaluating their head shape and providing interventions as needed. We're looking at the muscle tone of the baby, the neonatal reflexes, the alertness and responsiveness as well as social interaction that the baby provides. 
We look at state regulation and changes between the state regulation. We look at infants tolerance to handling. Depending on the age, we're looking at them in different developmental positions. We also will do standardized assessments as appropriate. We're looking at their neurobehavioral maturity, their autonomic system, like we previously mentioned, and the infant engagement or disengagement cues. So many things to remember. We posted a behavioral states post on our Instagram a while back. So take a look if you haven't already. Sarah, what outcome measures do you use frequently or see frequently? So there are various standardized assessments that can be used in the NICU. So this could depend on what hospital you're practicing in, which um, standardized assessments are used more frequently. But some of the more common assessments that we use are the test of infant motor performance of the TIN, the general movements assessment, the GMA, the preemie neuro, and the Hammersmith neonatal neurological exam, HNNE. So write those all down and make sure that each of you know what each one tests, looks at, and what the age range is. Remember, some of these outcome measures can help determine early diagnosis when the child is very young, like the GMA. Sarah, can you talk a little bit more about the GMA? I feel like I'm throwing questions at you. I mean, there's been research going on for a while, and the GMA has been around for a while. The problem is, is that one, the certification takes a while. It's like a four-day course, and it's pretty intensive. And the other problem is, once you get certified, it doesn't mean you can immediately implement it in your NICU. There's a lot of steps that I feel like that's different than outpatient and other facilities that to implement something in your NICU, you have to go through a lot more steps because you're going, making sure like nursing is approved with it. Then you have to go through your neonatologist. You have to get support of everyone in the unit because you're working in that multidisciplinary setting. So you're all like, I feel like it's like multi-trans and interdisciplinary all at the same time, but you have to make sure everyone's like on board with everything. So basically under five months, the GMA and MRI are the most prognostic indicator of later diagnosis of cerebral palsy. So you can actually take that and diagnose them earlier, or at least when you have the positive findings on the MRI and the GMA shows lack of fidgety movements, you can target your interventions more to help basically give that child the best possible outcome they're going to have regardless of their diagnosis. Help our listeners know what is the GMA? What are we looking at? Because I thought that that was something that was really interesting when we were studying as well. It's a little bit of a different type of standardized test. In general, the GMA, you're looking, it's an observational assessment. So how it's done is the baby's just in their crib and they can be in a drowsy state. They can kind of be in any state. You just can't have them crying. They can't have hiccups, stuff like that. And you're literally looking at their movements. So in the arriving stage, you're looking, are they normal for repertoire or abnormal? And then there's kind of a grid that will give you an idea of what to see. A lot of preterm infants will be poor repertoire. It's just that their movements are still developing and things like that. And then what will happen is later on, essentially the test will be repeated normally, depending on the type of level NICU you're in. In a level three, a lot of the babies will be discharged. So the repeat test will be done in follow-up clinic, but some level fours, they may be there longer. So you can do the fidgety assessment when they're still in the NICU. But what you're looking for is fidgety movements. So are they present, abnormal, or absent? So when they're present, it's like these circular kind of like nice movements like this. When they're absent, you won't see any of that. And abnormal might, it's kind of like that in between. But when they're absent, that's the big red flag. And if you have the MRI imaging that's positive, then what you're, you're going to have a doctor come in or a neonatologist and have a conversation with the family about that. 
Sarah, thank you so much for that explanation of the GMA. I know that people have really been looking for more information on outcome measures. So that's a little bit of a taste. And then next week, we're even going to go further into all of the different types of outcome measures that we might encounter in the world of pediatric physical therapy as a whole. But we're going to move on now to interventions. So what types of interventions are you using in the NICU? In the NICU, there are various types of interventions that we use in research that backs these interventions. So one is neuroprotective care, developmental positioning, which is very important. Infants born preterm, their muscle tone is still developing. So if you don't properly position these infants, they're going to be at risk for developmental delay because they'll kind of be splayed on the bed and all those later motor milestones will be more challenging for them. Handling and functional positioning, social engagement when appropriate, when at the appropriate age. Care support or forehanded care. So that is working with a nurse and the nurse will do their standard routine, temperature, diaper, anything they have to do while you're providing positive touch to help keep the infant calm. Positive touch, containment, facilitated active range of motion and stretching as appropriate, splinting and taping as appropriate, cervical range of motion and head shape. Skin-to-skin holding will help facilitate positioning with parents as well as nurses do that as well. Vestibular input, neonatal hydrotherapy, massage therapy, multimodal sensory stimulation when appropriate when the infants are old enough. One thing to note about that is when infants are born preterm, their sensory systems are still developing with hearing and vision being the last two systems to develop. So you have to be very cautious with that multimodal sensory stimulation. We support infant feeding. We try to help transition these infants to a nice quiet alert state. So the nurse and or the feeding therapist can come in and do the feeding afterwards, or we can help support with positioning as needed with the feeding therapist or the nurses, and then as well as discharge planning. It sounds like positioning is super important. And so this is where we're going to kind of circle back towards the ABTA fact sheets, because there's also an amazing fact sheet called Positioning the Medically Fragile Preterm Infant in the NICU. I definitely would encourage people to look at that because there's also pictures, which I think just help if you're a visual learner. That might be a place for you to kind of go and take a look at and familiarize yourself with all of the positions. I think what's really great about the fact sheet too is they kind of show proper positioning and then what kind of poor positioning looks like. So that way you can help understand visually what's going on and how we can properly position them. I will throw a link to that in our episode guide. Sarah, what type of education do you provide and who do you provide this education to? So education is huge in the NICU and we're providing education to families and caregivers as well as staff. So we provide education on role of therapy in the NICU, what we do, who we work with, how we do it, our timing of the therapy sessions, et cetera. We educate parents and um, caregivers and staff on the infant's cues and behaviors. The nurses are really great at acknowledging infant cues and being able to read those, but we want to just kind of make sure that people know when they're engaging with us and when they're telling us, hey, we're stressed out because babies can cry, but they also show a numerous number of cues that say they're stressed out and just need a break. So we make sure that parents are aware of those. We partner with the nurses for care in the NICU, like the forehanded cares and the diapering and temperature that were previously mentioned. We elicit parent input. So parent input is huge. So we want to make sure that parents are comfortable with what we're doing. And we want to make sure that they provide input on things that they want to work on as well, that we can help facilitate. 
we help create developmental therapy program recommendations. So yes, we'll check in as developmental therapists, but these are things we want to educate parents and caregivers to help have them carry over when we're not there as well. We explain the exams and interventions that we're doing and what we're seeing with our infant, and we also help with discharge planning. It definitely seems like education is a huge part of the NICU. So that is a really important point to remember. Educating the families and the caregivers is one of the most important interventions that we do as a whole, but it seems to be really paramount in the NICU. How do you determine your dosage and your frequency of treatment for your sessions and interventions in the NICU? A lot of the stuff we look at to help determine that are the gestational age, their medical status or acuity, the concern for developmental delay, and their medical involvement. When do you know when discharge is appropriate? So discharge won't be determined by the physical therapist in the NICU. That's really determined by the medical team. But upon approaching discharge, we'll help coordinate kind of the developmental services that the baby might need after discharge. So whether that be early intervention, our NICU developmental follow-up program, or maybe even outpatient. Definitely something important to remember and different than the other settings that we've spoken about so far. I do think that there is an APTA fact sheet if I'm correct, about transition from the NICU to other services. So that is definitely an area too that I would take a peek at and just see how that process moves. Sarah, what are some clinical pearls from your practice that you think people should know to be an expert in the NICU setting? I think one of the biggest things is that you just have to understand typical infant development. So to understand when it's abnormal development or something you're concerned about, you need to understand what to expect. So that's one of the biggest things. So making sure you just know your typical motor milestones, make sure you know your typical lab values, your typical vital signs, things like that. And also understanding interdisciplinary care and knowing that in the NICU, you are a physical therapist, but you're part of a bigger team. And all of us are working together to better the care for the families and the infants. These are all great things to remember. We really like that you talk about understanding typical infant development and vital signs like we had mentioned earlier, and also understanding the interdisciplinary care. There is a fact sheet on the difference between multidisciplinary, transdisciplinary, and interdisciplinary, one of the APTA fact sheets. Definitely put it on your study guide. I know I did. These words kind of tripped me up when I was studying. So just another way for you to kind of remember it and get those memorized. And we talked about this earlier, but make sure you're going through normal physiologic parameters for preterm infants. Sarah, is there anything that you learned from studying for the PCS that impacted how you approach your setting? I feel like studying for all areas of PCS helped improve my overall clinical reasoning skills. So that helped improve my clinical reasoning skills in the NICU and my protein physicians in pediatrics and outpatient and inpatient rehab settings. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on today. The NICU is such a specialty area that not many of us have experience in. So it was really helpful for you to share your experience and information. Do you have any last tips for our listeners as they get down to the wire for their PCS exam? I think one of the things that I benefited from most was when I took the practice exams, I would read the stem of the question. I would pick out things that were priorities. If the word not was in there, I would highlight that to make sure I was thinking of the right answer. But the biggest thing I did is I tried to answer the questions without looking at the answers. Awesome advice, Sarah. Thank you so much. 
That's all that we have for you today. We will not be having an episode on Friday this week. We're finishing up an outcome measure episode that's taking a little bit longer than anticipated. We will be back at it twice next week. Get ready for us to talk about hospital-based pediatrics and that outcome measures review. We will talk to you all next week. Happy studying. Thank you all so much for listening to Pushing Pediatrics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Pushing Pediatrics. We would love to hear from you. So send us questions, suggestions, things you want to hear more of, and things you'd maybe want to hear less of. We will talk to you guys next time. And remember, you totally got it.